you who are on the road must have a code that you can live by. And so become yourself because the past, it's just a goodbye. The opening lyrics of this great song, Teach Your Children by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, ask parents and children not to be judgmental of each other's lives. And it offers a prescription for not being bound in suffering and by not accepting the reality of existence and accepting people as they are, not who you would like them to be. As I read a wonderful book called Breaking the Code, it reminded me so much of that song. It was in my head. And it underscored the assertion that you are not what happens to you. You are, in the words of the psychologist Carl Jung, who you choose to become. Our author today asserts that you can live life by design or by default. You get to choose. But to get something that you've never had, you must be willing to do something you've never done. Today's guest also recognizes that there's no limit to what you can imagine and no limit to what you can achieve. Open your mind to the dream of the life that you would love and know that you can have it. But he also recognizes that in the absence of clearly defined goals, you become strangely loyal to performing daily trivia that ultimately you become enslaved by. Our guest today is an entrepreneur, trainer, speaker, life coach. He left Apple earlier this year after 13 years there in leadership roles, and he started his own coaching business. Go figure. His mission is to empower people to make the changes they want in their lives and so that they can live the lives they love. He's certified with the Life Mastery Institute, and he speaks to groups all over the place. And we are happy to have him here. And his name is Rusty Gaylord. Rusty, welcome to A Climb to the Top Stories of Transformation. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, it's great to be here. And I love the uh, CSN song at the beginning. Well, you know, as I, as I was reading Breaking the Code, the word code, it was constantly, it was certainly a part of your book. And I want to be able, be able to explore that because it was an interesting construct for how you chose to write this book, particularly given your engineering background and your many years at Apple. We'll talk about what people said when you decided to make that life change. But before we do that, why did you write the book and who did you write it for? I wrote this book because there was a period of my life where I was following what I call describe as the code which is what I believed, my set of beliefs and habits, my thoughts about what made a good life, what I should be doing in my life. I checked all the boxes. I'd gone to the best schools, gotten a good job, uh, gotten the promotions, got married, had a child. And even though I had done everything I was supposed to do, I had followed the code in that way. Uh, my life on the inside was challenging and difficult and painful, uh, which ultimately led to my divorce and a whole series of other things. But I wrote the book for people who find themselves in that place. I just believe there are so many smart, successful people out there who are following this path that was laid out for them. They've checked all the boxes in their life and come to this place where they say, mm, something's missing or something's not right, but they don't know what it is. And so I wrote the book for those people to help them come through that without having to go through the turmoil of a challenging divorce that I went through. 
Yeah, no, and you you certainly, and I appreciate the vulnerability and the honesty for its impact that it had on you, because part of what you described in the divorce is the stigma, the failure. Oh, my God, is this going to brand me? And I really appreciate you for putting that out there, because so many of us, in fact, in your case, as you're going through what is a thriving career, what the people in the office where you happen to work don't see this other part of you that unfortunately is not up to the same standard that they even might expect. You opened up the book when you made the decision to leave, and it was a really interesting percentage of 10% of the people that gave you the pat on the back and they said right on. But it was interesting, the 90%. At first, I was expecting they were puzzled, they were confused. You used a different word, and it was quite a striking word, and it was intimidated. Can you explain what you were going through when you were in the mindset of leaving something to go somewhere else? It was fascinating because I was excited. I, by this point, I, I had been on a journey, right? And this was the end of my journey when I was finally telling people I'm leaving. All right. But as I told those people, I was excited, but it was so interesting to see their reaction. As you said, a small number, 10% roughly. I got the pat on the back, congratulations, excited. But a lot of people were intimidated. Uh, right. And I wrote about this. Some of them, very intimidated. They didn't even want to talk about it. It was, you know, they changed the subject. And we literally only talked about work up until the last day. There was, there was no conversation or no acknowledgement that I was leaving. Right. Then a lot of people were what I would call mildly intimidated. They were uncomfortable. They looked at me like, what are you thinking? Who does this? This is crazy. You're successful. You've got a good job, a great company, all of that. Why would you possibly be leaving? So there was this confusion, intimidation, questioning. Like, how, how does someone even come to that? But they didn't really want to have the conversation. And that's why, for me, I used the word intimidation because it was, I could tell there was some curiosity about it, but it was, I'm going to keep that at hand's length because it's a little too, too, too much change for them to really even consider. Well, it was interesting because what I, I got a lot of good things out of the book, but what I was constantly beyond you or on the road must have a code. It was very much something internal and something external. By the same token, it was something that was very mind and heart. And, and, and by that, what I mean is another thing that I kept thinking about as I was reading the book is the old Lao Tzu quote that the longest journey that any of us take is the 18 inches that separates our heart from our mind. And part of what you described is we, we're all buried in the mind. We're buried in the tasks. We are taskmasters, but that's not leadership and that's not leading your life. That's just doing what you set out to do. And that's not a bad thing. Can you describe what was the conflict? And I'm hoping listeners will relate to this between the mind and the heart what you were going through. Share that, share that feeling. Yeah, that's a great question. The, when I, 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 I describe in the book, the moment that I got the idea to become a coach mm -hmm. and that was absolutely a heart moment. Right. But almost immediately after my brain kicks in and this is the, it's almost like a tug of war. And the brain is saying, are you crazy? You've invested 25 years of your career doing this. Uh, you went to business school at Stanford. You're going to throw away a business school degree to go become a coach. What if you fail? You know, what are you going to do for health insurance? What, you know, blah, 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 blah. There were so many good reasons. <laughs> they had to throw in the insurance question. 
<laughs> it's a real one, as those of us know who have left the corporate world. Yeah. Um, but there was, it felt like there were so many good reasons and it wasn't a good time. I was in the middle of a divorce. I was being called to the witness stand. I had to prepare to that for, it was very challenging. And so, you know, I easily could have convinced myself it's not the right time. It's not the right thing to do. I'm putting my, myself, my, my son at risk, you know, all of these things. But I, I've just, I've come to appreciate that as you, as you were saying earlier, if, if, if nothing changes, nothing changes. I could have stayed in that job for another 15 years or stayed at Apple for another 15 years until I retired. But the thought of that, uh, it it was like checking my soul out, Uh, just, you know, selling myself away for stability and for a paycheck. And I said, how would I feel when I retire? And, you know, it would feel like escape, but it would have felt like I wasted my life for all of those years. And that is the message of the heart. That is the message of the heart. And it takes some courage to listen to that and be willing to step forward and honor it. Uh, And fortunately, I found that. And it's been an amazing journey. Well, what I loved about the book, for anyone who is going through that, you offer a really interesting construct. And whether that was the engineer in you or simply you created this, it was really cool to see that all of us, and I'm going to hold up a phone. And we are on a computer now. And what we know is this has an app or this is an application. There is an operating system. And then this is hardware. Yet what I really loved about the way that you created and you this construct became the app is the choices. The operating system is your code. And the hardware, that's you. And you talked about the inner tech in you. Help our listeners to understand what happened on the inside so when it's time to contemplate doing what you did, they feel that you have given them the tools to do what's on the outside. Yeah, that's the thing. Thank you. It's a great question. So the inner, inner, your inner tech is just what you described. It's you, your beliefs, and then I describe the apps as all of the choices and the features and the functions of your life, which is your job, your relationship, your house, your hobbies, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And you choose the apps that you want in your life. Mm-hmm. So the way your inner tech works is everybody wants to have better apps, right? It's like, well, I want a better house or a better career or a closer relationship or more free time. So those are like the apps, but you can't install an app that is better than the operating system allows. Right. So you have to upgrade the operating system and that is your code, that is your beliefs. What do you think is possible? So the I outline this simple process in the book, which is the acronym code, C-O-D-E. We'll get to that. Yep. And uh, so we'll talk about that in a moment, but it's a simple, it's a simple process to go through to say, how do you how do you fundamentally upgrade your operating system, which is your beliefs, it's your inner tech. It's what you think is possible for yourself. Because when you do that, that's what allows you to achieve a whole new level of results. Yeah. And and while I read the book, and I want to have you explain code being what is an acronym for a few, for four key words, the most important one that was so prevalent in the book was C for confront. Because in order to do this, there's a lot of things that have to be confronted in spite of the discomfort. And you drew a picture of comfort zone out of the comfort zone, which we all know and admire, but it's easy to draw it. It's harder to do it. Can you explain how you came up with the acronym? We'll fill in the other letters, but why confront was such 
an important starting point for getting through the whole code. I was just talking to someone about this today and that we were specifically talking about fear and discomfort and pain. So many of us want to avoid those things. And when you avoid them, then you never address it. You never address the root cause. And so it's, you know, there's an old story about a dog lying in a porch and somebody walks up and says, why is your dog whining and whimpering like that? And the owner says, oh, he's lying on a nail. And the person says, oh, that's terrible. And it is terrible. But the owner says, well, I guess it just doesn't hurt enough or he'd move. Mm-hmm. And that's the story of our life. It's a terrible story, but it's the story of our life is what are we willing to tolerate? And you have to confront those things. You've got to be willing to look at it and say, no, this is uncomfortable. Is it life-threatening uncomfortable? Maybe not. But is it worth is it worth it to you in your life to improve it, to step forward and to actually remove that discomfort for your life? Well, if so, it requires you to confront it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to say, I don't like this. And you have to be willing to make a change. Well, what's so fascinating about the opening here of the 90%, they don't want to confront it with you. They don't want to confront it to themselves. And it it ultimately led to, I think, while I loved every chapter, Rusty, one, one chapter that I really appreciated was, whose life are you living? And I say that because you know, I teach college and at the Columbia Engineering Program, I have so many wonderful students, but sometimes by their own admission, they feel crushed under the weight of somebody else's expectations. And they will pour out their heart saying, I I, I don't always get to choose and I'm living someone else's life. Now they may get through that, but can you describe the implications of that chapter and how to help someone confront being crushed under the weight of somebody else's expectations? Yeah. The, 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 I think that you already used the key word here, which is to confront that realization. And the first piece is awareness, to be aware because if you're not aware that you're trying to meet someone else's expectations, you're just, you're in, you're running on autopilot, which I also talk about in the book, right? which is a manifestation of your code. It's just, this is the way I believe the world works. This is what I'm supposed to do in the world. This is how I operate and I show up and you just keep doing it. So number one is to become aware. Uh, And then number two is you confront it and then it gives you the opportunity to make a change. And so the, the, I I share that story in, in the book about, living somebody else's life. And, uh, and you know, it, it's also part of my experience because I shared in the, that my dad worked at the same company for 35 years and his model of success was find a great company, get a job there and stay there. Right. Uh, you know, very much a, a product of his time, if you will, but it was, it was a formula that worked for him. Yeah. But the, it, 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 that, it's like, the, it's like that, that nagging discomfort. And that's where I was living with that because I was in this job, I was doing well on the outside, everything looked great, but there was this nagging discomfort of, is this really all there is? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And if I, how much impact am I really doing? When I retire at the end of my life and look back, will I say, well, how will I feel about my career? Did I make a difference in the world? Do I feel good about what I did? So if, if you're having those kinds of questions, they're great invitations to explore, not to avoid, right. but to confront them and to explore them and really ask yourself, is this what I want to be doing or not? 
Yeah, you, you speak much of being in the age of discovery and that even passions are something that just don't happen. You talk about the need to go find it, develop it, work it. Can you explain that? Because I think a lot of people are often frustrated. Oh, I don't know what my passion is. Your point is, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so what now? Yeah. And I hated that question when people would ask me, what's your passion? I, was like, uh -huh. I don't know what my passion is. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out, but you've got a different prescription. Well, and it's, yeah, exactly. It's not to discover your passion, it's to build it, right? which is, there's no one and only. I don't think any of us has a one and only. There's a small percentage of people who are, when I was six, I knew I wanted to be a doctor and they're a doctor and they love it and good for them. But that is just the minority of people. Right. Most of us, we find something that is appealing and interesting. And we have to be willing to go in that, even with the uncertainty of, is this the one and only for me? Is this the passion? I don't know. Even for me in my experience, when I was going to becoming a coach, when I was starting that process, I would not have described it as a passion. I would have described it as I'm interested in this. I'm curious about it. I'm excited about it. I want to do it. I think I would really like it. Mm -hmm. And as I have gone down the path, I've gotten more and more passionate about it because I've invested more of myself. I've learned more. I've gone down further to, down the path and all of those things I expected were true. And you continue and so to invest in it. And by golly, what the heck? I actually like it. Right. How would you have known if you didn't try? Well, th this gets to the code. And I, I want the, our, our, our listeners and our viewers, uh, let me paint the construct. C for confront. There's an O and a D. But what I really love is what happens at the beginning and what happens at the end, because the end is to execute. That's when if you've done things correctly, you put yourself in and make to, to, to make those choices. Rusty, can you explain the middle, the O and the D? Because to me, that was the space between origin and execution. What has to happen in those two spaces for someone to get comfortable with the E execution? Yeah. So uh, C for confront, which you talked about, O is optimize, hmm? D is design, and then E is execution. So in the optimize and the design piece, Optimize is about your code. How do you optimize your code? And one of the simple examples I give in the book is to think about your salary. Your own, I'm just for ease of simplicity, let's yep. just assume you're making $100,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Do you think you can double your salary? Do you think you could earn $200,000 a year? A lot of people would say, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to do that. Like maybe by the time I retire, I will have gotten there. I don't know. But the only thing standing between you and doubling your salary is your code. It's your beliefs about yourself and your value and what you're capable of. Because there are jobs out there that pay $200,000, $300,000, $500,000. Those jobs exist in all sorts of different fields, not just in, you know, not just in a narrow niche. So what stands between you and those things is your beliefs and your assumptions. It's your code, how you see yourself in the world. So O is optimized. It's about stretching your perception of yourself. How do you optimize yourself so you can, your code, optimize your code so you can see yourself as a person who's capable of achieving your goals, who's capable of achieving bigger things, who's capable of having a job that you feel really passionate about and excited about, and you get paid well to do it. I want, I want to expand on that because what you described is some people don't even know what the possibilities are. And you, you, you describe something called a zone of possibilities. 
And I thought that was a really cool way to prompt someone to start thinking about, I got to get from 100 to 200, 200 to 400. Can you explain that zone, what it means and how you use it? Yeah, the zone of possibility really has three components to it. And it's it's referenced back to the conversation we we're having earlier about the head versus the heart, because so many of us go intellectual, we go rational. Well, if I'm making $100,000 a year and I have a compound annual growth rate of X percent, then maybe I could, you know, all that. <laughs> all of that. <laughs> they teach you the time value of money you learned at Stanford, but let's set that yes. aside. <laughs> Setting that, but that's the intellectual approach. Right. So when I talk about the zone of possibility, it's three components. Number one is it requires some quiet because we are bombarded with information and requests and text messages and social media, all of that, all the time. So you have to have some quiet so you can listen to yourself. So you can listen to what's coming from you rather than what's coming at you. Right. The second piece is to listen to your heart. It's heart because your picture of a successful life comes from your heart. It's what you're drawn to. So you've got to listen to your heart. And the third piece is courage. So it's quiet, heart, and courage. And why is courage required? Because sometimes your heart will pull you in a direction that your mind doesn't agree with. I gave you the example of my own experience becoming a coach. I had all sorts of reasons why that didn't make sense. And yet my heart pulled me in that direction. And so it requires courage to even listen to that rather than just block it away right off the bat. Yeah. Now, Let's get to when you decided to become a coach. What does your coaching practice look like? Who are you coaching and why are you coaching them? So three-part question. Yeah. So my coaching practice is evolving, frankly, just like all things. Uh, I think we are all evolving all the time. Uh, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, so, and I'm also am now building some groups, some communities, because I just, I'm a strong believer in the value of community and having other people who are on the journey with you. So that's most, my coaching is really in those two formats. Who I'm coaching, I'm coaching smart, ambitious, successful people. Uh, and it's, it's really as simple as that. And they often fall in two categories. One category is people who are working in corporations, much like I was. And they've reached that point that I described. I feel like I've checked all the boxes, but there's something missing. And that could be, I don't like what I'm doing. That could be, I'm fine with what I'm doing, but I can't see myself doing this the rest of my life. It could be, I'm working like crazy and don't have the time that I would love to have for other things that are important in my life. So those are people in the corporate world. I also coach people uh, who are entrepreneurs or business owners. And this is really about how do you, how do you because how do you continue to grow the business? Because anyone who runs a business, the growth and the success of that business is inherently limited by the growth and the capability of the person running it. A perfect example is Jeff Bezos, who started a business at nothing and grew it to one of the largest businesses in the world. How many people can you name who've done that? And it is a reflection of his personal growth because he could never have grown the business. He would have been replaced if he wasn't able to grow and expand with the business. That's the fundamentally that same principle is what I work with as I'm coaching business leaders, which is the success and the growth of your company is limited by the person. So how do you as a person grow 
so that you can expand your leadership and make space for the business to grow. And is it fair to say that the people who reach out to you, are they in the sea of the code because they've confronted whatever that is and seek help to work through it? Yeah, that's a great point. Yes. Uh, many of them have at least confronted the reality of there's something that I don't like here and I'm ready to seek help because I want to change it. So yes, they're in that C stage. And I suspect is your coaching then the optimization and design because I'm with you. I am a coach too. And I help people to see the possibilities. Are you in the O in the D that leads them to make the choice E execution? Yes. Yes. And I, as, as a coach, I'm sure you know this, that the execution is threaded throughout. Oh, definitely. Uh, because that's, that's the beginning with the end in mind. Always, yes. you know, you need to reach a decision. Much of your book was all about people spinning their wheels and not getting out of their own way. Just the mental exhaustion and fatigue that comes with overthinking it as opposed to being productive toward the design, the optimization and the design. Is, is that what you help with? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when, when I hear people say, I'm trying to figure this out, or I'm really thinking about it, or I'm stumped and I don't know what the right answer is or the right path is, those are all signs to me that they're in their own way. And I don't say that with any judgment because I've been in my own way plenty of times in my well, life. Ben, and even today still. <laughs> I think uh, any, any listener, including us as the teachers, we feel what others are feeling because we were that person. Yeah. You were that person. And what I loved in the book is you had arrived. And why are you leaving? <laughs> well, yeah, all those great Apple. Oh my God, who, who leaves Apple? A um, couple other things. The subtitle to Breaking the Code, and I really, really let this resonate as, just before I dove into your book, Stop Looking for Answers and start enjoying your life. What you were describing was stop striving for perfection, strive for progress, take a little bit at a time. Is that what you were going for? It's the striving for, for, for perfection, but it's also the getting out of your own way. Yeah. Right. When we're looking for answers, we so, we're so convinced that we're even asking the right question and we're pursuing it. We're trying to figure it out. Again, it becomes a very thought-driven intellectual exercise. And I really am a believer that that is hugely important and valuable. It's brought you to the success that you've had, but it's not the thing that brings you to the next level. Yeah. Again, you go back to the Jeff Bezos. Of course, he's terribly smart and crazy, right? But that's not the thing that gives him the vision of where he's going and what he's accomplishing. Right. Uh, you know, that comes from heart. That comes from his inspiration, his gut. And that's, that's not an intellectual process. Yeah, and, and what I... You continue to say, which I hammer home, certainly my coaching practice, just a series of continual adjustments. There's only so much intellectual rigor you can come when you start adjusting. Do you have the fortitude to continue to adjust? Yes. So thank you for putting that in the universe. When is the book available? Where do they find it? And where do they find you? The, the book is available this week. June 21st is the week it uh, was released. Uh, so it's on Amazon, Breaking the Code. You can find it right there. Uh, you can check me out at RustyGaylord.com. Uh, and uh, I'm also on LinkedIn at RustyGaylord. So all, all great places to connect with me. And I'd love to, I'd love to hear with you and, and have a conversation about how this resonated with you and how you're applying it in your life. 
Right. And to, to our listeners, our viewers who are watching us on YouTube, you have listened to a climb to the top stories of transformation. It has been my pleasure and an honor to be able to help narrate Rusty Gaylord's story of transformation in this wonderful book that I thoroughly enjoyed called Breaking the Code. Rusty, thank you so much for coming on to A Climb to the Top. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Chuck. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, same here. And I, I want to leave our listeners, there is so much wisdom in this book. And there is so much of the of a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of engineering, just it's it's Rusty's personality came out. And when I looked at his background, it's not that it's not important, it is. But all of that goes away because you strip away the mind and you just let your heart do the reading because it's both strategic and it's tactical. And that's what I loved about the book because it helps you to confront, and this is the sea of the code, which was the best part of this book. The journey starts there. So thank you all for tuning in. I'm gonna go back or finish with the quote that you and Rusty asserts this in the book and provides a prescription. You are not what happens to you. You are who you choose to become. And if you need some assistance to becoming the person and living the life that you want, Rusty Gale, it's a pretty good option to do it. I recommend giving him a call. Thank you for tuning in. You have listened and watched a climb to the top stories of transformation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.